0: Nonfiction's coverage during the Sundance Film Festival is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films. Esquire calls The Rescue this year's most thrilling and human documentary. To see it is to believe in both the human spirit and the miracle of human ingenuity, raves Variety. The film won three Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, including Best Director. It's nominated for the PGA Awards and the Cinema Eye Honors. The Rescue from the Academy Award-winning filmmakers of Free Solo, for your consideration for Best Documentary Feature. The Rescue, now streaming on Disney Plus.
1: <music>
0: the Sundance documentary, We Met in Virtual Reality, follows people finding ways to connect by avatar. We talked to the director, Joe Hunting. <laughs> I'm Tom Powers, and this is Pure Nonfiction. I'm joined again by my colleague, Sama Ali. Two episodes ago, she interviewed Miha director Isabel Castro on the podcast. Sama has been on the NYC programming team and for years has been urging me to pay more attention to virtual reality. Uh, it's a rising means of expression that I have personally left unexplored, mostly. But when I saw a Sundance film... Uh, that was selected for their worlds competition called We Met in Virtual Reality. I knew Sama was the person to call, so welcome back, Sama.
2: Hey, Tom, happy to be here.
0: can can you just explain to me, you know personally, you know your own experiences with virtual reality, what it's been, what about the technology that's that's pulled you in over the years?
2: I first came across virtual reality at the Doc X program at Hot Docs Film Festival from my hometown of Toronto, and I was amazed at what I saw. Um, I believe the documentary was called Made This Way, and it really shook what I understood about filmmaking and how films could be made. This was a 360 video documentary, a short, of course, because virtual reality experiences that are in a cinematic form can't really take over 20 minutes. They get a little bit overwhelming for the user experience. And so I watched that documentary and thought, this is something amazing. And I've never seen anything like this before. And then I just became hooked from there. And I even did my master's in virtual reality cinema. And here we are today, finally having time to talk about VR in this amazing film that Joe Hunting did.
0: So uh, maybe a worthwhile distinction to make is between uh, virtual reality and social virtual reality. Uh, uh, This film we met in virtual reality is really about a social virtual reality space. Um, So uh, can you just explain what's meant by that?
2: Yeah, um, virtual reality in its traditional format is typically a head-mounted display, also known as a headset, that is put on by the user and immersed into either a game or a film. And as you are encapsulated in the world, you can look around 360 degrees and really see what a filmmaker has in store for you. With social VR, it's a little bit different. It's way more technical. You usually have to devote an entire room in your house for it, um, where you have cameras set up on the four corners of a wall set up, and then in addition to that, you have rendering points on your hands, hips, knees, and feet, and you are then transported into the world with your head-mounted display for you to be able to engage in social interactions with other people who are in this design space.
0: So um, what you've just described is uh, taking place in the real world, what you might see if you were watching someone who is on a virtual reality uh, headset, um, is not what we see uh, in this movie. Um, the, the movie is entirely shot in a virtual reality space. So uh, I, I guess I would describe it as kind of like watching uh, a cartoon, since many of these uh, figures are very cartoonish. Um, but you're in a, uh, I don't know if I'd call it two-dimensional or three-dimensional. I guess it, it, it definitely is, has aspects of three-dimensionality to it. Because uh, there's uh, move, you're moving across rooms and planes and uh, and imagine imaginary spaces that've been built uh, in this in this world. Um, so, uh, so, for viewers who haven't seen the film, um, can you elaborate more what they should expect?
2: What viewers can expect in this film is essentially being immersed in an experience where, even though you are in a 3D, 4D real experience for what the characters see, you are experiencing this with a 2D cinematic display, a regular traditional film. And the story is actually about human connection, people who go to these VR chat rooms in social VR and experience a community that they can't actually access, not only in real life, but also during a pandemic, because Joe Hunting ended up recording this film during our beloved lockdowns. And as a result, you really get transformed into a world that goes beyond the world that we know in our apartments and houses that we experience so well in a lockdown.
0: So, you know, I came to this film thinking about the technology, but what I really came away from this film was thinking about the the human experiences of it. It is It's unexpectedly uh, poignant um, as you get to know some of the characters uh, in this VR space. Um, t- uh, tell us about some of the characters that uh, that are prominent in this film.
2: So there's Jenny, who is an ASL teacher who's also in the deaf and hard of hearing community. And we actually become very well encapsulated in her world in the helping hands deaf and hard of hearing community in the VR world. So not only does she introduce us to some of her friends, but also some of the characters that we end up meeting along the way. There are also two couples, Dust Bunny and Toaster and Izzy Boy and Dragonheart, and they have their own stories and experiences of their own, especially while dating during the pandemic.
0: Uh, I mean, that seems to be a big theme in the film. There there are two relationships that we uh, watch grow of uh, people who, as the title said, uh, met in virtual reality.
2: Totally. And I think one of the most notable parts is that one of the couples have never met in real life, and another one of the couples found actual solace in virtual reality. They weren't able to travel because borders were closed and they live in two different countries. And so social VR ended up being their meeting place.
0: I spent a lot of time watching this film, super curious about what these people look like uh, in real life. Uh, we don't ever uh, see them. That was a deliberate choice that Joe made. And uh, and he talks about that in, uh, in your interview.
2: I thought it was a great decision for him to not show us the actual people behind their avatars. After all, this was an introduction for most people into social VR. And with our interview, we did talk a great deal about technology at the beginning. But the second part of our interview is really about the humanity, why people are attracted to commune in these chat rooms. My first question to Joe was how he discovered social VR.
1: I discovered social VR and specifically the platform that I recorded the documentary in, in summer of 2018. Um, I read an article um, in the news about VR chat, um, which is the platform the documentary was filmed in. Um, and the article read a lot of quotes about people overcoming uh, problems in their mental health and you know, finding really profound relationships and friendships through this social VR platform. And that to me was an experience that really I related to as someone who's had a lot of experience in um, online communities, and I've always grown up playing online games. Um, that was one that you know, personally interested me. And then I was also studying documentary film you know, during that time and kind of sparked a lot of storytelling aspects that I wanted to, to explore. And, you know, those themes were themes that I wanted to, to talk about uh, and immediately jumped into VR in the fall of 2018 um, and just started meeting people and asking questions around that idea and how people's experience of the v- social VR was, was reflecting um, in their real lives. And um, how their relationships were reforming and changing and developing. And immediately, you know, I released my first film in early 2019. And then from then, I've just been led by curiosity and love in that space and uh, a, kind of a strong desire to really represent what that experience is like. And yeah, kind of haven't stopped. <laughs> uh, and then this feature film was really, you know, kind of drawing in everything that I was curious about and, and the people that I wanted to, to represent into, into one piece.
2: So for the uninitiated people who have no concept of VR and VR chat and social VR, can you kind of explain what is controlling people's avatars? And especially we see a lot of American sign language in your documentary as well. And that's very Mm -hmm. finite digit movement. Yes.
1: Well, I mean, in terms of VR technology, um, myself and everyone in the film is wearing a VR headset. And we have two controllers in our hands, which we're, you know, moving our fingers on and moving our characters with. And most of the film, uh, sorry, most of the protagonists in the film are all wearing full body tracking trackers as well. So they have one tracker on their hip and then two trackers on each of their feet, which will be tracked through these stations in your room. And then you're able to kind of be fully immersed and fully present and feel, you know, your body move as your avatar in the space. Um, so that's a little bit just about how the technology works and VR chat is a platform that is entirely built by the community. All of the worlds and all of the avatars that you see are created by the users of that platform. And people will you know jump into VR chat and jump into a world together as the avatars that most of the time they have created themselves um, and you know get to hang out and embody, um, you know, expressions of themselves that are exaggerated versions of themselves or, you know, something completely different. Um, and, you know, with that comes with so much experience and so many stories.
2: My last question about technology is really how did you make this film? Because this right. is such a, not only a visually stunning piece, but also it really pushes the documentary form as mm. a whole. So I know you talked about in your Meet the artists. um Moment in for a Sundance, what camera are you using? But for folks who didn't watch that, what was the technology you used to make this
1: documentary? Mm. Well, the entire uh, documentary was shot using a camera that was created by a member of the community in VRChat. It is a purpose built cinema camera um, called VRC Lens, which was created by a community member called Hirabiki. And the camera is as organic. And as um, amazing as a real life cinema camera, I can change lenses, I can zoom in and out. I can fly it as a drone, pull and you know rack focus. I can add zebra, add peaking and change my f-stop and aperture. I can, you know, has every capability that a uh, cinema camera in the physical world has. Um, and so, you know, a lot of iconography and influences that I had in physical filmmaking and um, in, doc- in the documentary form I could directly apply and use and build upon when it came into making the feature film and then in regards to you know using the documentary form I think I always embraced using VR as a place to explore real stories and I think there's a really playful line to tread in that process where you're not just seeing the, um, fantastical context and ex- an exaggerated expression of someone, but you're listening to their voice and you're seeing their real body movements um, and you can connect to you know, that truth of someone. Um, and so there's a lot of aspects in the filmmaking which were a really fun and creative exercise in the documentary form. Building upon that aspect of of language and, you know, really listening to someone in their body um, and how their avatar is is using, you know, their real bodies and language um, is something that I think was really profound in seeing someone sign in VR. Um, The film features a a deaf uh, person and their story is integral to the documentary and is one that um, I'm really honored to be sharing. And the film also features hard of hearing and a whole deaf and sign language community. And the reason that as a director, I really wanted to explore those stories was both in recognizing a underrepresented community, you know, in VR specifically as well, but also there's a magic that you experience in watching someone on a flat screen film, you know, communicate through sign and, and have built their own language Um, adapted for VR to communicate with other people and that desire to communicate um, and teach other people about sign was was just something that was so unique and so special um, to to it that I think it would be shocking and inspiring for for most audiences.
2: You do take us into so many different worlds and situations and relationships in this documentary. How did you meet your characters And how did you introduce this idea of the documentary to them?
1: Mm. I met each of the, I met there's a lot of people in the film, I should say, first of all, but I'll speak just to the core protagonists um, for the sake of time. I met them all in in very different ways. Um, The kind of key character in in the film that was the first person I filmed with was Jenny, who is the pink-haired American sign language teacher who really welcomes us into the deaf and hard of hearing community that is Helping Hands. We met whilst I was shooting a series in the summer of 2020, and she features in the final episode of that series and of since um, meeting her. And we also filmed with Ray, who is the deaf character, and we met in virtual reality, um, just ever since being introduced to that world and um, understanding sign and, and the attitude towards teaching. and. Wanting to build something, um, building building a community for education and for the desire to communicate, that was obvious to me that there was a story that I wanted to pursue in the in the documentary, um, and then just discussing that idea, um, I was very open to the context of the, of making a documentary, making something longer form uh, with Jenny and Ray, and you know, thankfully they're amazing people and they're extremely respectful and and um, we knew what I was doing. And we had a lot of kind of open conversation around what we both want to talk about in the film and the stories that we wanted to represent. Um, so it was a very mutual understanding. Um, and that was the same for the rest of the cast. I met Dust Bunny and Toaster who were a long distance couple who were obviously struggling during the pandemic, as they were not able to physically um, be together, but they were using VR as a way to to be together um, and to communicate. I met them through the International Dancers Association. Um, I actually saw Dust Bunny do in a dance battle in VR, um, and then discovered that she's a belly dance teacher. And then she introduced me to her partner, Toaster. Um, and they both spoke um, so eloquently about their relationship. And obviously, Dust Bunny has this incredible context of wanting to be a dance teacher um, inside virtual reality that was you know, really exciting. And finally, Dragonheart and Is Your Boy, I met you know, in a very different context to Jenny and Dust Bunny and Toaster. I met them dancing in an exotic club called Club Zodiac um, and kind of pulled them aside and had this very long conversation around a pool table, playing pool, um, which became a very, became kind of a centerpiece of of We Met in Virtual Reality. We kind of continued talking and um, continued expressing thoughts around their experience and their relationship from that pool conversation. Um, But all of our, all of the cast knew what I was trying to achieve and the context of the film and what the message I wanted to portray is and, you know, representing VR in a very authentic and realistic way and wanting to Share their story in something relatable to people outside of VR that they could show, you know, family and friends, and for people outside of VR to really understand the meaning of their um, relationship or community. So, um, it's it was it was, you know, I'm very lucky that I was able to get on a playing field that felt mutual and that we but we all wanted to represent this story.
2: I do believe it was a great directorial decision to keep us in VR rather than actually taking us into each person's real life setting and seeing their room and their setup because this wasn't a documentary about the technology. Mm. Was there something that made you make this decision or was it something that perhaps you considered while making the documentary?
1: Mm. Yes, absolutely. This is a question I get asked often, Um, but it was a very... Um, clear decision to not show any real life context of the subjects of the film. And that actually came from releasing my first two short films, uh, my two short documentaries, both of which feature scenes of the real uh, bodies and images of uh, the subjects of the film. And during the tour of, of those films, I spoke to audiences about what their favorite moments were in the films. And uh, something that came up was um, they, you know, were so inspired and so moved when they got to see the physical images of the subjects, and you know that really changed their judgment and understanding of what those people were like. And that reaction, I that hearing that, um, was actually a horrible feeling, almost like a sinking feeling. That I realized after the uh, the release of those films, I realized that you know the way that I saw. Well, the beauty of how I saw these people um, was kind of lost. And there was a magic that was lost in just sitting with the kind of more fantastical elements of someone's VR identity. And that idea and those feelings really came into going into the feature, uh, the feature film um, in wanting to hold on to that magic of seeing an avatar on a flat screen film and really connecting with their... Um, their virtual identities and their kind of, you know, pure expressions of self, and leaving the the truth of their physical lives up to imagination and letting people question that for themselves. Um, I think that's a much more fun and intriguing watch, that you know, is is actually a more authentic representation of the space as well. Because I did I did the whole way through production, I did not know what the cast looked like myself as a director, um, and so I didn't want the audience to see that either. You know it's it's about immersion and it's about seeing someone in that place and the uniqueness that comes with that
2: and immersion is exactly what we were (laughs) we were totally immersed in this film and i have a question about the avatars that we ended up seeing um there is quite a conversation to have about the gender expression that we have All Mm -hmm. the different characters but also the online safety that one person mentioned in the documentary as well do you have any insights about why people designed their avatars and the spaces in such specific ways
1: oh i mean there's a vr is full of variety um you can find anything and everything in vr and, and people will express themselves how they wish to express themselves and build worlds to be in that they want to be in with their friends Um, So it's hard to, you know, give one, it's impossible to give one general definition on why um, someone wants to be something because it's, you know, anything and everything can exist. Uh, To speak to just what is in the film specifically, um, you know, I'll get into the kind of conversation surrounding gender and identity that is featured in the film, but to speak generally about it, I think everyone seen in the documentary, their avatars are exaggerated versions of themselves or parts of themselves that they want to embody more and you know, embrace. Um, for example, I think one character that can be very shocking for audiences is, is your boy, who's a dancer in the exotic dance club of Club Zodiac. Um, and her avatar is um, you know, much more sexually um, out there. <laughs> it is exotic and she is a performer and she is a dancer. Which can, you know, I think raise alarm bells with many audiences, and as it should, I think. Um, But her reason for choosing that avatar is to own her sexuality and to own her power. And, you know, that's something that she felt was restricting her in her physical life, and she could embrace that and be it in VR. And I think that was such a powerful experience for her that she could be in VR and be this powerful, exotic dancer um, to express themselves in that way. So there's so many different reasons that someone would choose to be an avatar. Um, And to speak to the kind of direct conversations in the film about fluidity and experimenting. um, I think the um, VR is a very safe and exciting environment for anyone to explore their identity, whether you associate in the lgbt community or if you associate as non-binary um the film does feature a non-binary person who um, shares their insight into how different avatars and has been beneficial for them and exploring different identities and different sides of themselves but i think that experience is truthful for so many people um you know people who are still trying to find themselves and they could go into vr and wear something that is completely different to something that they identify as in any other situation, and that fluidity and that experience is really important. I think I feel and something that I really wanted to represent, um, and a message that I hope people will take away from the film and um, you know recognize and using VR themselves and you know engaging in conversation and. Just just respecting people as they are in that space is something that I I hope, you know, the future of VR will continue to to hold on to, that freedom of expression.
2: I think freedom of expression, um, freedom in general, and community are such strong underlying themes of we met in virtual reality. Why was that something that you wanted to underline, the importance of community and belonging?
1: Oh, I think... I think that's an experience that a lot of people in the world struggle with, <laughs> is finding belonging in community. It's kind of a fundamental question of life, I think. So when it came to wanting to talk about VR and kind of make a technological documentary in some ways and show people what this experience is like, I think dealing with that kind of fundamental condition that we we all face in life and trying to find um a place was something that i knew everyone can relate to um and is something that is almost unique to vr as well because people are building communities in this environment to belong in um you know which is you know part of the definition of the space so i think my decision to just lean into those stories came from a, um kind of wanting to give back because I found my community in VR, that's where I found my tribe. Um, so wanting to share that experience with people was personally important to me. But then also just connecting the world to the world of VR in a very human and, and real way. Um, I knew that those themes would, would shine.
0: I wanna thank Joe Hunting for coming on the podcast and thanks to Sama Ali for hosting. Joe's debut feature, We Met in Virtual Reality, is premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in the World Documentary Competition. Our Sundance coverage is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films. We have three previous interviews and one more episode to come during the festival. Thanks to our team, Series producer, Hannah Nordenswan and web designer, Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, and our executive producer is Raphael Anahousen. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pure Nonfiction. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. You can read our show notes and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net.